Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Economics Podcast. I'm Riley, and this is Ashish. Um, Ashish, would you like to take it away? Yeah, hi, everybody. Um, Last week, we talked about inflation. Um, And this week, we're doing something a little little different. Uh, We'll be talking about how to look into stocks um, very rudimentary perspective, uh, sort of a continuation from what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, so just to begin, I would like to, I, I would, I, I think that there, there's sort of a couple of important things to break down in terms of how to go about analysis of stocks. I think one is sort of the the macro perspective, right? Um, how is a company going to fare given certain environmental sort of trends, societal trends, uh, regulatory trends? That's another big thing. Now, obviously, like, you know, a bank's probably not going to, if, if you're, if you're looking at a bank like Alan, which is, what my case study was yesterday, um, or sorry, the two weeks ago. Um, I think that you know, environmental policy is not going to be particularly important to making a thorough analysis of whether Ally is a good company to invest in or whatnot. Um, however, I will, I, I will say that. The, there are obviously other just broader regulatory factors that, that matter, right? Um, for example, Dodd-Frank regulation in, I believe it was 2009 to 2010, was when it was sort of introduced into the mainstream of public policy. Th- that is specific banking regulation that could impact whether or not to invest in the sector short or long term. So. I think that one one of the um, interesting things is that you should generally try to um, look at the sort of macro catalysts for an industry and specifically for a company, right? Like, um, for example, uh, investing in oil and gas as of today. Well, while it may while it may be profitable in the short term, obviously because of the concern about climate change and the sort of um, also the, the, the sort of um, Joe Biden is in presidency that there's pretty much a what 50 50 split in the house and the Senate, the, the house is primarily democratic. So you've, you've got this situation where there are political factors that also matter when you look at specific companies and attempt to analyze them, right? So um, politics and macro just trend factors are also important when looking at whether to invest in a particular um, company or not. But again, this is not something that really affects the banking industry. Now, 
other things will affect banks, right? Like, you know, if interest rates go up or if, if there, there's no regulation on, on lending or how, how much money that banks have to keep in their capital reserves, right? So for every industry, there are different catalysts and different tickers um, that I think just anyone looking at a company or trying to analyze it, even on a very surface level, which is what I'm doing here, I'm not doing anything complex here, um, is, is just basically that um, you, you want to be able to identify what makes, what, what sort of factors are important for an industry and they're usually different for the different industries. So th that's just sort of a broad overview there. Now, going into how I go about analyzing the stock and um, continuing our discussion from uh, two weeks ago, I think. Um, some of the interesting stuff here is in the, in the um, business description and then some of the additional information that Ally is providing, right? So um, again, what, what drew me to this company and sort of the challenge that I was trying to figure out uh, in the analysis was why is the return on equity so high? Um, ROE. Why, why is it so high? It was, it was like an 18% ROE, which is just insane for a bank. Now, the, the concern is, um, okay, are, are there any factors that aren't, you know, related to sustainable profitability that are driving this in the short term, which is sort of the concern when you look at something like this. Um, but if not, if it's actually sustainable and performance-driven, um, then, of course, that's a stock that you'd like to invest in. Um, now, what, what actually is driving some of this high return on equity? So specifically for Ally, uh, we, we might have gone through this last week, but they, they have seen a large increase in deposit customers and total value and the total dollar value of uh, deposits as well. And if you're not familiar with the banking industry, uh, servicing deposits is usually cheaper than uh, servicing bank loans, right? loans, right? So like if, if um, a company uh, raises or has capital, if a bank raises its capital, by putting out debt, they're probably going to have to pay a high interest or higher interest payment on that debt versus a deposit. Because sort of the implication around the deposit, like if, if you're if you're anyone that puts money, if you know anyone that puts money in the bank, putting money in the bank is supposed to be a guaranteed rate of return, albeit really small. Now, the positive thing for the bank is that if, 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 if you have a bunch of deposits, now you have the money to finance your operations, to lend that money out um, and make profit off it without paying that high of an interest payment 
because that's sort of the risk reward premium that the depositors are are sort of um, they've made their decision that they're willing to take on less risk um, in return for stable but very low returns. So th that that helps out the banks actually a lot if they make their money um, if 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 their funding source is via deposits. So uh, a good thing about Alan is that they have very high deposit rates and they have very little debt, uh, which is quite nice. Um, now the second thing is, as for really any company that you look at, you want to do some study into what their business description is, right? Uh, just because a company is bank, that doesn't mean you you want to invest in them. Um, so the things that I look for industry-wise, um, and, and these these rules don't necessarily just apply to banks, right? So I've done these in all kinds of industries. Uh, you want to look for competitive advantage, uh, segment advantage, segment growth, and um, and and just you know, um, are there major competitors in that in that field or in or in that industry? Um, in, this is primarily why it's very difficult to make quality technology investments um, for long-term value um, because a it's it's most finance people um, whether you've studied it or or you're a kid like me you probably don't understand technology that well um, in order uh, at least in order to be able to make an educated um, guess about whether certain companies proprietary technology or the applications of it um, will be um, sort of used for future value sustainable future value so um, again I, I think that the, the sort of industry analysis if you're a finance person should be very broad in scope and not as specific. And this is sort of my, my problem sometimes is that understanding what a biotechnology company does has to be very generic because uh, it's very difficult for people that haven't done biotech to understand it um, in a very complex one. Um, but I think in general, it, it is good to know um, what a company is is doing and whether it it sort of goes along with industry trends right um again th this is not something that affects banking specifically usually of course um but just in general it is is a company introducing uh more products to widen its market share among those in the lower economic classes are they moving towards more green energy? Are they making significant capital investments in this kind of thing? Well, 
well, what is their generic strategy to increase their growth rate? Um, which is what you want to know. Now, um, the interesting thing for, for Ally is that we don't actually have to do a lot of that gritty work in terms of research because they've laid it out uh, right here for us. Um, so again, they the way they make their competitive um, advantage, I guess, is that they are a pre they are, I believe, one of the top um, car loan uh, underwriter, uh, just car loan maker, I guess, uh, I, for lack of a better word. Um, they, they basically just, you know, um, make car loans and they are the bank for automotive loans. Um, so it, while they may not be as big as like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, they, they have a specific competitive advantage in a segment, right? So the, the, competitive, the, the competitive advantage is always a nice thing because um, you know that there's a lack of competition and that their growth is probably sustainable as a result. Now, the, the second thing that is important is, okay, you you may have a a business can have a competitive advantage in uh, in a certain segment of the industry, right? Like you know, one bank is probably better at commercial loans. Uh, one bank is probably better at auto loans. One bank is probably better, at, or or is the industry leader for personal uh, personal finance, right? But the the sort of allocation of financial resources is also very important in this because um, if, 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 for example, Ally was dedicating more resources towards its mortgage lending, right, and trying to beef up its its sort of competitive play in the mortgage industry versus their their sort of advantage in um, the automotive loan market, right? Then that that that's a complete misallocation of resources. So you also want to be wary of that. Just because they are a just because a company is a leader in um, just because a company is a leader in um, a particular marketplace doesn't mean that a they want to be that or b they they sort of identify that's where their value is, and instead could allocate resources out elsewhere, uh, potentially for misallocation of resources, uh, which which is not which does not exist in the ally case. Although I, I will actually give you guys one example of this um, with another stock that I was looking at a couple of weeks ago, around the same time the first part of the podcast came up. Um, I think it, some automotive car brand, um, I, I forget it's the, the name actually. Um, it's, the, it's the brand that owns Maserati Homa. Let me find it. Yes, Stellant, um, 
Stellantis Envy is the name of the uh, car conglomerate, I guess, that um, I, I was looking at a couple of weeks ago, and I was, I was working with a friend of mine on this, and they pointed me some. They they pointed something out to me. It's actually fascinating if you look at their 10K. Um, 140% of their profits come from, uh, I believe, North America, and everywhere else in the world, uh, they have a negative 40% profit margin. Uh, which, what that what that means is basically that they're they're losing, they're hemorrhaging tons of money in these automotive, in, in these sort of international automotive marketplaces, but th they seem to make good money um, in the U.S. and in North America with, with generally um, mid-sized, you know, middle-class brands like Chevy. Um, now, the sort this is sort of an example of right um, the inability for a company to understand where its value lies. Um, even, uh, I, I would guess that the sort of reason why they've allocated as much resources and they have actually allocated a lot into international internationally, but um, they're losing a ton of money in those places. Um, my guess would be that they're trying to create some sort of international footprint and grow their company there. Um, but clearly it isn't working. Uh, it's backfiring horribly. Um, so again, this is an example of, hey, even if a company has some sort of carved out niche or some sort of competitive advantage in a particular location, the, the ability for the company to actually understand that they have that and not pursue unfruitful, is that even a word, unfruitful um, investments on the side that could be cutting into profit margin or company value, um, that, that's still something that has to be looked into, right? So um, once you identify that they have a competitive advantage, uh, ensure that resource allocation is um, that, that resource allocation is to your liking as a potential investor. Uh, the the sort of third thing here is uh, major players in the, in the business. Um, now, the the sort of important thing with this is that um, and. This is a, I, I'll actually talk about Pareto distributions sometime later on in the podcast, uh, because a very interesting concept, but, but basically to sum it up for all of you, um, Pareto distribution basically implies that 80% uh, of the wealth and 80% of the pr productivity in a capitalist uh, on largely unregulated uh, free market economy is going to be produced by only 20% of the producers. 
So that means that if you get 100 companies um, that are each producing, or, or, or if you get 100 companies that produce $100 in total products, right, then only 20 of those 100 companies are going to be making the vast majority of the wealth. And by the way, this sort of extends within within the 20, right? So it's, it's not that the 20 make the 80 equally instead. Um, of the 20 companies that make the 80% profit, um, you've, you've got 20% of those that are making the, the most profit of that small group in itself. So basically, what, what it, why this ends up happening is because um, you've essentially got it, it, people will buy things that are just more efficient and better. And as a company becomes more efficient and better, it's going to gain market share. And not everyone can be equally efficient and innovate with the same speed and value to the consumer as other companies, right? So you're going to get industry leaders you're going to get competitors that, as they grow market share, um, they increase revenues and profits. As they increase revenues and profits, they can invest it back into the business and, you know, innovate and invest in different things. Basically, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling cycle, um, which is why you see very large companies that are very profitable. Um, so, a bunch of quality goods um, in, in pretty much any marketplace. That, that, that doesn't mean that it's monopolistic, right? It's just, you know, um, the reason why Apple makes more money than most phone companies is because people like the iPhone. It, it's not monopolistic. It's just the, the value that Apple provides is higher or is, is at a premium compared to most companies that are selling phones. Now, what, do, what does this have to do with stocks? Um, essentially, like, you want to be wary of small companies that are, think they are potential disruptors in a space where you've got a giant, um, and this is especially a worry in, an industry like technology, just because, um, you know, the the tech companies are not are are usually going to be the most innovative and the least stagnant and the least archaic. So y you want to ensure that again. I'm not saying don't invest in small companies or don't look at small companies, but just the reality of the situation is. That 99% of companies don't stand a chance against Microsoft or Google or Apple or Amazon. Not 99% of companies think they're going to become Google and Microsoft or Amazon, but they're not. Um, so the the sort of if 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 you've got a if you're looking at a small company and you want to invest, uh, you probably want to make sure that. There are not, there are not large competitors 
that are allocating a good amount of resources into the space. Now, there are times um, where a, a, a large company may be a player in a particular industry segment, but not devote that many resources towards that segment because it's not their core business. That's probably a scenario where you can look at the where where you can look at the um, smaller company despite the larger competition. Um, but in a in a case where there is a significant allocation of resources by a large company in a marketplace um, competing against a small company, and if you're analyzing a small company, that that's something that you should always be um, at least be cognizant of when doing some broader analysis. Um, so uh, those are some of just the, the sort of macro factors along with um, what uh, macro factors in terms of company management, strategic decisions, um, industries that you're involved in, sort of the, the reality of macroeconomics when looking at stocks. Um, so actually, I, I, I didn't cover much of the specifics of the 10K that I wanted to. So we may actually do a part three of this, but I know we're running sort of short on time. Uh, so um, I'll ask uh, Riley if she has any questions for me. Yeah, um, that sounds good, and we should probably wrap it up, um, and we can continue on um, another time on to a new topic. So thank you, Ashish. Um, and also, I don't know if we stated this before, but as with every other episode, um, the views expressed here are not financial advice, but um, mainly just his opinion. So that's what we got for today. Thank you all.